Good morning, everybody. Morning, morning. I'd like to thank uh, my father for uh, convening for me this morning. I hope he enjoyed his Father's Day present. <laughs> You're laughing, but that's what it is. <laughs> um, and also, I'd like to thank uh, Terence for stepping in and speaking last week so that I could have an extra week to prepare. Although that meant that everything was happening last week. I don't know what I was doing last week. Um, but whilst I was away, I was thinking about what I was going to say when I got back. And I, my grandmother, I'm told, famously once spoke about how there would be no sea in heaven. It says so in Revelation 21, verse 1, which we've already heard today. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. And she said that this was a good thing because it meant that there would be no separation between people, that we would all be together with nothing and no one to separate us, which really is lovely. And I said recently about people who don't believe in God or the Bible or, or anything really, that they tend to believe that there is a heaven and they pretty much assume that that's where they're going to go. And they tend to imagine that heaven will be whatever they love in perfect abundance. Well, if I was to imagine what heaven would be for me, it would most definitely include the sea. I adore the sea, and I always have, and I no doubt I always will. So when I was in Kuwait thinking about what I was going to speak on for the next three weeks, I was in the sea, and I was thinking about all the reasons why I love the sea. And I've come up with ten reasons. But I realised that everything that I love about the sea, I also love about God. So what I'm going to do over these uh, three Sunday mornings is look at these characteristics that the sea shares with God. And maybe by the end, I won't be so disappointed that one of them isn't going to be in heaven when I get there. So this morning, we're just going to look at the first three. And the first reason why I love the sea is that it's a refuge. More specifically, a refuge from the searing hot sun. It was unbelievably hot in Kuwait. And I didn't enjoy spending more than five or ten minutes in it. And when we were at the beach, I spent most of the time in the sea, hiding my body from the sun's hot rays that so easily burnt my skin. We'd arrive, I'd get in the sea, and I'd stay there. I'd come out and dry for five minutes, and then I would go back in the sea. And then I'd come out and dry for five minutes, and we'd go home. So that, Terry, is why I don't have much of a tan. <laughs> and when I was out of the sea... There was nothing that I could do to protect myself from the sun. I could put on Factor 50 sun cream, but over time it would wear off and I'd have to remember to put it back on and refresh it. And if I didn't, I'd be burned. I could put long-sleeved clothes on, which we have to in public, but I would still be affected by the heat of the sun that was pouring down on me. My skin wouldn't be burning, but my body would still be boiling hot. Or I could have stayed inside and never stepped out into the sunlight. But then I would have been isolated and never met or talked with anyone else. Well, Alison highlighted for us on Sunday night how sinful our world is at the moment. As in the days of Noah, as my father so often says. So often that now all he says is, as in the days. <laughs> the world is sinful in ways that would upset us and repulse us and confuse us, but also in ways that would tempt us and entice us. Sin generally is becoming so commonplace, so accepted, and in some cases applauded, that it's impossible to avoid the effects, seemingly so anyway. 
In a world such as this, what do you do to shield yourself from the intense glare of sin? Well, I could bolster myself up and tell myself that I won't do this and I won't do that and I will say this and I won't say that. But as time goes on and as sin starts to weigh down my defences, unless I take myself away and get myself back in order, sin will start to have a hold on me again. I would constantly have to reapply myself. I could cover myself up and hide behind tradition and religion, walk in the glare of sin but not allow it to see my skin, hidden under the proverbial habit or hijab, walk in and around sinners and sin, making it obvious for all to see that I want no part in it. But whilst the direct threat, the direct glare of sin on my life is removed as I commit myself to religion and tradition, the warmth of sin would still be around me. As I sit in the world with my prayer beads saying my Hail Marys, the temptation of sin still surrounds me and affects me. I could just stay in the house, never leave, never watch television, listen to the radio or read. I could completely separate myself from the world and then the sin of the world won't be able to touch me. But then if I did that, um, my time on earth would be an unhappy one. I would be avoiding the world's sinful behaviour, but I would also be depriving myself of the wonder of creation and the wonderful gifts that God has provided in the world. In Q8, when the sun was beating down on me, I ran to the sea where the sun couldn't touch me and the heat didn't affect me and I found refuge. In a sinful world such as this one, we should run to God, who is our refuge, and he will defeat sin for us so it can't touch us. And when we are fully emerged in God and his love, we won't feel the warmth of sin on our bodies. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. That's Psalm 46. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runs into it and is safe. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take my refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation and my stronghold. It's also worth noting that when I went into the sea and stood in the shallows, I wasn't protected from the sun. And when I ventured further up into my waist, I wasn't protected from the sun. Only when I fully immersed myself in the ocean's waters was I protected. And the same goes for God. You're not protected from the power of sin if you go to church at Christmas and Easter. You're not protected if you go every week. You're not protected if uh, your family are Christians. Only when you fully immerse yourself, only when you give your whole life to God, is is sin a defeated foe for you. The New Century Version puts James chapter 4 verse 7 like this. So give yourselves completely to God. Stand against the devil and the devil will run from you. It's funny, I was speaking to my friend, Kerry, who's not a Christian, about, he asked me how my last sermon had gone, the one, the John 3.16 one, and I was telling him about it. And um, I said, the thing is, see, Kerry, is um, you don't work towards this one or this one. I said, uh, uh, eternal life and perishing as it says in John 3.16 I said perishing is the default position and he said oh and then he said well he said both I got two uh, Christian best friends that's got to count for something and I said no he said it's a very personal thing and then we never talked about it anymore but it was funny, I've never actually, people say that, or people say this, but I've never actually heard anyone. And there he was, he said, he paused for a second and 
because it's strange, he's not a Christian, but he's my best friend, or I'm his best friend as well. And then he went to university and made friends with another Christian girl. But he's not a Christian. But he's got two Christian best friends, and he seems to think that's enough. But it's okay, I told him it's not. <laughs> so what happens uh, when you give your life to God, and he becomes your refuge? In the case of the sun and the sea, it's obvious what you have to do to seek refuge in the sea. You simply have to get in it. Walk from the shore into the waters. Easy and practical. In the case of a storm, when the winds are strong and the rain is heavy and thunder and lightning fills the skies, finding refuge in a building with fortified walls and a strong foundation, once again is easy and practical. You simply have to walk in. But what about God? We're told that he is our strong tower and we're told that he is our shade. But we can't practically walk into his shade and into his tower. How can we know that he is our refuge and how can we use him as such? Well, when you're lying on the beach and you can feel your skin start to burn and you're sweating because you're so hot, you are lying right by the sea, which could be your refuge. But it's not your refuge until you get in. Whilst it's always been there, until you get into it to seek refuge from the sun, it isn't your refuge. And it's the same with God. He is always there, always with us. And we can struggle through our lives and through different situations, struggle with the temptations and lure of sin, or feel the effects of living in this sinful world start to change us. And all the while, God is there. Our refuge is there. And he can't be our refuge unless we allow him to be. So how do we make God our refuge? But we ask him to be our refuge. And we allow him to be our refuge. And so quick are we to seek refuge in other places, in earthly things. But our true refuge is in God. Isaiah 28 verse 15 says, For we have made lies our refuge, and under falsehood we have hidden ourselves. How familiar does that sound? Finding refuge in lies. And for me it's the lies I tell myself. I'm panicking because a deadline is looming. I've got time, I tell myself. I'm trying to eat healthier. One chocolate, one it, I tell myself. Or my favourite for a long time when I weigh myself. It's because I'm tall. (laughs) But the world is tangled up in a whole web of lies that it finds refuge in. It doesn't matter how I behave because God doesn't exist. I'm a good person, better than most people anyway. I'll get to heaven for sure. If God was real, he wouldn't do this and he wouldn't do that. Lies we tell ourselves, lies that we tell each other, and lies that are corporately taught as fact. These lies might be comforting for the moment and we might find refuge. In other words, feel safe and protected under the cover of these lies. But it will do us no good in the long run. Isaiah 28 goes on to say, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not act hastily. We can find refuge in the lies of the world, but if we want a refuge that is steadfast and sure, then it is to God that we should go. So the next thing that I love about the sea is the current. The sea's current is one of many things that differentiate it from the pool, which I'm not a massive fan of the pool, but I love the sea. In Kuwait, and I'm sure we've all been to different places uh, around the world, where the sea is so perfect that if it wasn't for the sand at your feet, you'd be forgiven for thinking you were in a well-maintained pool because the water is so clear and still 
and the temperature is just right. But the sea has a current. You can float in the pool and barely move at all unless somebody splashes around you. In the sea, you can float for two minutes and look up to realise that you're ten foot further to the left than you were two minutes ago, and you didn't feel a thing. You were just minding your own business, relaxing, which is the key to floating, by the way, and ever so gently, so gently that you don't even notice you are being guided and you find yourself somewhere else. And if there was ever a man to go with the flow, it was Joseph. He found himself in a pit, abandoned, then sold as a slave by his brothers, then Potiphar's number one man, then in prison, then in charge of the prisoners, then before Pharaoh, and then ultimately the second most powerful man in the world. And all the while, he just went with the flow. He never seemed to kick back at any time. We never hear of him begging to return to his family. We never read of him dwelling in self-pity as he's wrongfully jailed. Whilst we know that God promised him that one day his family would bow down to him, we never see him clambering forward, trampling on anyone he had to to get ahead, to get where God had showed him he would be. He just goes with the flow. He relaxed and trusted in God to take him where he wanted to go. And when you're in the sea and the current has gently but quickly taken you from A to B, getting back to A is never as easy. However gentle the current, you still have to fight against it to go back. It's like the lazy rivers you can get in pools. You can either lay back, relax and enjoy as you're taken down the winding river, or you can turn around and try and swim against it and not get very far very quickly. Proverbs 3 verse 5 to 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Psalm 37. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. And Isaiah 58, The Lord will guide you continually, and satisfy your soul in drought, and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden, and like a spring of water, whose water does not fail. God has plans and purposes for our lives. He knows where we should go, when, how quickly, and via which route. And he will bring his plans to fruition. And we have two options. We can either lay back, relax and allow God to take the lead and gently guide us to where we have to go. Or we can fight against him, try and go in another direction, which will only be difficult and tiresome for us. Now one of the most vivid memories that I have of the sea's current was when we still had the caravan in Pendine. And one summer we went to all different beaches that we'd never been to before. And this one particular beach, myself, along with my parents and Jonathan, went in the sea. And Benji didn't want to, which turned out to be a good decision. And we worked in the sea for very long before it became apparent that we were being dragged deeper and deeper into the sea. And my mother and Johnny started to swim back to shore, using all their strength to do so. I was using all of my strength, um, but I couldn't get anywhere. I was trying with all my might, but I couldn't fight the current. And so my father was picking me up, throwing me towards the shore, and swimming as far as he could before I came whizzing back to him. Obviously we all survived the incident, but we saw on the news the following days (laughs) that surfers were fed up with having to save people who couldn't get back to shore. So strong was the current at this beach at that time. 
The sea's currents can be gentle and almost unnoticeable, but it can also be strong and powerful and impossible to fight against. And the same can be said with God. He will gently guide our lives if we offer them up and allow him to take control. But if we start to go in the wrong direction, if we fight against that gentle current, he will increase his pull to get us on the right path again. One of the most famous Psalms is Psalm 23, which I'm sure we could all recite. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters and he restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And we can see from these few verses all that I've said, that God is in control and is quietly and gently leading us to where we need to go. But he also uses his rod and his staff. And whilst the shepherd used this equipment to lead, he also used them to reprimand. If a a sheep begins to wander into dangerous territory, the shepherd would use force to get that sheep back to safety. If a sheep found themselves stuck in a thicket, he would use his staff to yank the sheep out. You see, there's a time for gentle guidance, and there's a time for force. When a child reaches their hand towards a fire, you don't gently lead them away. You grab them quickly and forcefully and move them to safety. When you're crossing the road with a child and they step out when a car is coming, you don't persuade them back onto the curb. You pull them back with all your strength because it's for their own good and for their safety. Sometimes the sea gently leads you in one direction or another, and other times it makes you impossible uh, for you to go any other way other than the way it wants you to. Sometimes God will whisper in our ear whether we have to turn left or right, and other times he will use his rod and his staff to drag us away from danger seen and unseen as any faithful shepherd or loving father would do. Fighting against the current in the sea is pointless, unless it's leading you to certain death. Disclaimer. It's better to lay back and relax and trust that you'll be safe. Trying to fight against God's will for your life really is pointless. We should just lay back, relax, and let God have his way in our life, and trust that he knows what's best for us, and rejoice in the knowledge that even if we do manage to wander off the path, God is faithful to bring us back, away from harm, and into his loving arms. And finally this morning, I want to talk about the power of the sea, which I've kind of already touched on. So the Venn diagram of my memories of the sea and the memories of my holiday in Pendine have a big crossover. And I have fond memories of walking by the sea when the tide was right up and seeing the waves crash against the wall or even over the wall and onto the road. And looking back now, it probably wasn't the safest thing to do, but I have a window of a memory of walking across the steps on the top of the beach in Pendine with my father, with the waves crashing against them. And and then, as I am to this day, I was in awe at the power of the sea. When I look at the sea, and I look at the sky, and the whole of creation, and I think about how my God created it all, Ooh, didn't expect that. <laughs> created it all by the pow- by the word of his mouth. And I emphasize by the word of his mouth. I am in awe at how powerful my God is. And to say that God needed millions of years to do anything just takes away from the glory that God deserves for his power. Besides everything else, he deserves glory for his power. 
Now, scientists are at a loss as to, to explain why there are big expanses of desert, made up, of course, by billions of grains of sand, when the sea is so far away. Sand, of course, is made by the sea, which over time, um, scientists might say millions of years, weighs down and compresses rocks and stones until they become sand. And as the sea goes in and out, dragging rocks over one another, and the current moves the rocks around underneath you, they grind upon each other until they become sand. Now, I know of a time when the world was covered in water, and a time when every rock and stone on earth was constantly hitting other rocks for weeks and weeks, and over this time would have undoubtedly created a lot of sand. And so I have no trouble believing that large portions of that sand settled in places hundreds of miles away from where the sea ends today. But what do I know? The sea has the power to crush, essentially to dust, some of the hardest substances on earth. And God has the power and has used that power to crush every enemy he and we have on this earth. Romans 16 verse 20 says, And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet. And we've already heard this morning that when David cried out to the Lord, he made his enemies like dust so that they would simply be blown away in the wind or washed away in the waters. And as for death, where is your sting? Or Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So this powerful sea that I love has the ability to turn rocks to sand. And this powerful God that I love has the ability to turn our enemies to dust. The sea can also use this power for good though. I love feeling pebbles that are so smooth and perfect all over. With no dents or cracks or any bits that stick out. They are perfect all over. And the sea did that. It took the jagged, ugly, broken rocks from the shore into its embrace. And over time, they became smoother and more beautiful and whole, almost like brand new creations. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. When we accept God as our Lord and Saviour, and we enter into his embrace, he, unlike the sea, instantly makes us new creations in him. A rock before it enters the sea is a rock, but after it enters the sea is a pebble. People before they come to know the Lord are sinners, and after they are saved. And this is grace. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Boast. And I thank God that it is by grace that I'm saved, and not over time and through works. God did all the groundwork already. All I need to do is accept the gift of salvation, and I instantly become a new creation. But not to separate God and the sea too much in this example. Whilst we instantly become new creations, and we are already sitting in heavenly places now, our body, as Terence often says, is yet to catch up. We still reside in a sinful body, in a sinful world. And this is how we are more like the rock who becomes a pebble over time. Going from sinner to saved is as easy as that. You can change your status in in the middle of a second. And whilst, as far as your eternity and salvation is concerned, that's all you have to worry about. We still want to live lives that are pleasing to God whilst we're on earth. Live lives that glorify God and live lives that point people towards God. 
and ultimately be more like Jesus, the only one who could reach the standard required, in whose robes of righteousness we now stand. Stopping the things that we used to, that wouldn't be pleasing to God, isn't always as easy to do. Very rarely can it be done in that half a second. And even if we can stop doing it, can we so easily stop thinking about doing it? Of course not. Though we are saved, we are still sinners, and we will always fall down. But the beauty of being saved is that God will pick you right back up again. And over time, with prayer, in the studying of God's word, and with fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ, God will be able to knock off some of the jagged bits, uh, heal the cracks and unify the pieces, so that eventually, one day our body will catch up to us and we will be perfect. We could